So really, you know, as, as Ken last week, and I'm so thankful, Ken, if you're watching online, thank you. Um, he really unpacked Romans 12 and talking about our, our time and our talent. And, and this week I'm talking about uh, our, our treasure. I'm talking about money. I love when I say that uh, in church settings because it's like the most awkward thing you can say. Well, it's one of the most awkward things. There's another thing I could say and it could get really weird in here, but I'm not gonna do that. But you guys, when you think about this year, what a crazy year. I mean, financially, uh, I don't think I've ever experienced a year in my life. I mean, I remember 2008. 2008 was, was tough. And it was just like everybody across the board was being impacted uh, in dramatic ways in 2008. Um, I remember hearing stories and, and friends of mine going through it. And it was just, it was tough. But this last year, man, 2020, when we talk about just finances and money, um, it, I've just never experienced anything like it. And where in one conversation, I'm meeting with someone, and it's literally the best year they've ever had. They're like, Steve, I don't know what to do with all this money. And then I'll, I'll meet with somebody else, and they've lost their business. They don't know what they're going to do. They don't know if they can make it. They don't know if they can hold on. And, they're, and, 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 we're, and we're talking totally different ends of the spectrum here. And, and yet we're trying to come together. We're trying to navigate through all these different decisions. Uh, and it's so, so tough. And, and when you think about just like navigating through uh, life as a steward, and you think about like, you know, last week we talked about time. I mean, you guys, our time, uh, I don't know about you, but for me, my time management just got crushed. Right? I mean, your time in the office, your time with your family, your vacation plans, your athletic plans, your, your extracurricular activities. I mean, each week it was like its own adventure. And then you think of your talent. How do you do what, uh, how, how do you try and do what you're not able to do? Right? Like my spiritual gifting, my, my, um, the, the natural gifts that God has given me. How do I do that when essentially I'm told I can't do that? How do I reinvent myself? How do I connect in new and unique ways? And we think about financially. I mean, we all experience this in different ways. Our budgets just went nuts in different directions. And even as a church, you know, if you would have said, hey, Steve, 2020, you're going to shift all your budget as a church into technology, I'd have been like, no, we're not. And here we are. Our greatest avenue to reach people is now in that little camera. Hi, guys. That... That all happened. And so I, I think we have to understand and know that, that we're all approaching this differently. And yet when we talk about money, one of the most important things for us to understand, you guys, is when we talk about it from a biblical standpoint, we're essentially talking about our hearts. And I think that's one of the most important things that you need to understand. And before you jump to conclusions, because I know we do, especially in a church, and listen, skepticism in churches over finances, it's been earned. It really has. We've seen people manipulated. We've seen verses taken out of context. We've seen this prosperity gospel really take off to where, hey, if you give, you just wait. God's going to bless you with some more zeros on your bank account. And we're like, how do I be a part of that church, right? Um, but we see it, it taken and used. We've seen uh, lies. We've seen um, church leaders steal. Uh, I worked at a church, and I, and, and, and I experienced that, where, where we had a church leader that, that stole a large amount of money. And so when I talk about this, and, and there's skepticism, or what's the agenda, or what is this about, I get it, guys. I get it. 
But I also understand and know that in the Bible, uh, Jesus talks about money more than heaven or hell. There's more verses on it than faith. Uh, 11 of the 39 parables, he's talking about it. And I know in our culture, our identity for a lot of us is based upon our wealth. The arrival point for us in our lives as to if we've made it or not, um, we've attached a number to that for a lot of us. And a lot of us base our self-worth off of comparing our resources, what we have, compared to other people. And so it's a real thing. Many statistics point to it as the number one cause of divorce within the first two years of marriage. So we can't just go, oh, let's avoid it, and let's just all feel good. Like, we, we have to address it. We have to talk about it. And before, once again, we go, what's his agenda? Listen, guys, I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm so excited to say this. 2020 at Ecclesia was the greatest giving year in the history of the church. So I'm not up here like, listen, guys, listen. You all need to like just look deep. <laughs> That's not the teaching here. It's not, you guys. I want to come up here and just be like, clap. A hundred new people started giving to our church in 2020. That's crazy to me. You think of Marcel's up there, and some of you probably understood some, and some of you are like, what's he really saying? Guys, that, they were gifted during this time, all this land, and, and we, we financially support these pastors over, uh, well, specifically Marcel and this ministry, equipping all these uh, individuals to be trained up to plant churches all uh, throughout uh, that area in Africa, and 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 literally like like they're losing their lives as they're doing this. Al Qaeda is very present in that area, and you see him talking there. And 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 he's the government gave them land at the Bible school, and because of your generosity, we were able uh, to help build half of that wall to literally provide safety for those pastors. Safety for that area. And then not only that, because of all the giving that just came in, we were able to call him a couple weeks ago and tell him, hey, we can pay for this hydroponic system, which is a system that if Ian was here, he could tell you more about it. They were explaining it to me. But essentially, it's, it's allowing them to be able to self-sustain, to grow their own food, and that it's going to be an incredible thing that, that you, I mean, it's going to change people's lives. And you guys are part of that. Yeah, just chilling in Eugene. Like, like so, so I'm not up here, like, hear me out. I'm not up here going, man, what's wrong with you? Where are you at? Why don't you really love God? That's not the message, you guys. This is a message that I think is so important because not only the timing of it, and I think it's so important yearly that we evaluate it, just as, you know, you should be continuing to evaluate priorities in your homes, in your families, in your relationship with God. But this is a big one because, like I said, it is a heart condition. But let's start this morning with this. In Matthew 22, 37, uh, it's the greatest command, and it's what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You have to start with that. Everything should start with that. And so if I'm a Jesus follower, that's where I start. And it's so important that we start with that greatest and first command because the warnings that we see around money in the Bible, the warnings are that it is going to potentially attack that, that first command. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. It says this. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, 
into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money itself, but it says what? The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You guys, like that, that's the warning. It, it's saying like it, it, you become consumed with it. You desire it. You're in love with it. You need more of it. There are cravings that you will develop for it. You can't just turn it off. You ever get cravings for a specific restaurant or specific food? Are you able to just turn that off? Man, no. It's like, how do I get that in my belly? We, uh, over the break uh, last week, we, we felt the need for In-N-Out. And we thought, hey, you know, this place has been open a while now up in the Kaiser area. Let's go. Let's, let's take the risk. We went up there and we lasted 30 minutes. We had gone about 20 feet and we ended up at McDonald's. Um, but we wanted to fulfill that craving. You guys, money, uh, like nothing else, creates this craving for more and a desire for more. And it says what many, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, why is that? Why is this so important that we understand, that we know that? Is Matthew 6.21 says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Guys, are you seeing that? Your heart follows your treasure. See, this is a heart teaching because where my money's at, my heart, it says, is going to follow it there. That's why I started with the first commandment. Guys, once again, money isn't bad. There are many rich, godly men and women in the Bible. But there's warnings around money that it has this power to corrupt Good people, the power to distract from what's really important to manipulate your desires in a way that leads to ruin and destruction to the point where it has complete control of your heart. And this message does not just apply to those that are wealthy. This is a struggle that I would say I see equally with those that would consider themselves poor or not having a lot. Both can very quickly and easily be consumed with a desire for money to where it takes over their heart. And, and so you have to be careful. You have to be on guard. You have to know that there's a reason when the Bible continually talks about something and continues to bring it up, when Jesus keeps bringing it up to his followers, you should go, wait a second, why, why do I keep reading about this? Because it's got that potential to derail your heart. You guys, I have so many people that I love deeply, that I have seen their lives, their marriages, their relationship with their kids, absolutely in shambles and wrecked because of this craving for more money. They couldn't turn it off. And that's what, that's what it's warning us about. Gosh, and there's, and there's so many great examples of this uh, in Scripture. You know, in, in Luke chapter 18, verse 18, it tells a story where this uh, rich, young ruler comes up to Jesus, and he says, Master, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Now, if you're, now, now imagine, it, if someone comes up to me and says that, I'm like, I love you, God. Right? That's amazing. But Jesus then lists the commandments and says, do these and these things. And now this rich young ruler responds in a very impressive way and says, I have done all those things. 
So it was, wow. But then Jesus goes a step farther and says, okay, but one thing, go and sell everything you have and then come and follow me. And it says that he was deeply grieved and went away sad. Why? Why? Because money was not just money to him. It had such a stronghold on his heart, he couldn't follow Jesus. Jesus invites him into these treasures in heaven and invites him and says, follow me. And he's unwilling to do that because of the hold that money had on his heart. Guys, this isn't, this is an impressive person. This is someone that, that others would look to and go, man, I want to be like him. In fact, in that moment, when he turns away sad, the, those closest to Jesus go, well, who can be saved? Like they're in shock because of this impressive person. But what we see is you can be impressive on the inside, outside, and money can still have a control on you on the inside. And sometimes our wealth can actually hide that. But he was deeply grieved. And, 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 and guys, uh, I just, I gotta challenge this. We, we cannot put our trust in it. It won't deliver. And it will demand more than you want to give. We see example after example in the Bible. Probably the greatest example would be Judas. So consumed with money that he's stealing from the ministry, from Jesus's ministry. He's stealing. And then at the end, what does he say before he sells Jesus off? He says, what will you give me if I give you Jesus? How much money will you give me? We see him consumed. But here's the other thing. Money was often used as an example when people's hearts were changed towards God. In Luke uh, chapter 19, verses 8 and 9, uh, I mentioned Zacchaeus like three or four weeks ago. And, and after Jesus is interacting with Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus is like, I'm all in. Zacchaeus ends up saying, I am going to give half of all my possessions to the poor, and I'm going to pay back those that I've defrauded up to four times what I had defrauded them of. And what does Jesus say? salvation has come to this house, right? He knew that money was that lock on his heart. And when you see that lock being changed, when you see his heart being changed into generosity, into I want to give back to you, God, uh, everything is yours, God, you see that's a reflection of his heart. When John the Baptist is preaching in the book of Luke, we see all these people responding and they're convicted and they literally say to him, what do we do? Like we're all in, but what do we do? And, and there's these specific soldiers that are there, and he looks at them and he says, you make things financially right. See, they knew with, with, with the way that money has a hold of our hearts that when that changes, there's true change happening. But it comes back to this heart issue, but then also what we see here is an ownership issue. See, it's, it's his money, not yours. When you give, you're just returning what was already his. And since it's his, what you have is a gift from him. 
See, because it was his, what you have is a gift ultimately from him. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 and 18, it says, Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You guys, what you have, the situation that you were born into, what maybe was inherited and, and given to you, like, like all of that is a gift from God. You didn't, you didn't say, hey, God, I want, I want uh, to be born there. Uh, I want those, th- those parents. I don't want those. Like, like you, didn't, you didn't choose that. Wrong religion. Sorry. Like, no, you, you didn't, right? Like, so everything we have, my ability, my physical ability, my mental ability, whatever it is to, to uh, accrue wealth is a gift from him. And so that being said, you guys, money isn't bad. It's a gift, So why do we continue to act like it's ours? Why do I continue to struggle when I get money by going, ah, it's mine. What's your agenda? What are you trying to get at? Why is that a thing? You know, um, I remember uh, date nights have changed a lot uh, for us over the years. But I remember before kids uh, in San Diego, we would go to this local blockbuster. And I think there's one left from what I heard. But we would go to the local blockbuster there and we would walk in and we would rent a movie and, and, and it, was, it was fun. We'd pick up snacks and all this. It was, it was fun date night, okay? And we'd go home, watch the movie and that. And then I remember there was never a difficulty for us in returning the movie. Like I, like, I never went, no, I'm not giving this back to Blockbuster. It's mine. Like, that never happened. Now, there may have been times where I'm like, man, I'd like to have this another night, or hey, should we just, let's just keep it one more night. But, but there was never an issue of this is mine, not theirs. That never happened. Why in the world does that continue to happen with God's resources in our lives? It's so interesting. Like, like, like I think about, you know, maybe you've had a friend or a family member that said, hey, uh, can you watch this for me? Can I store this at your house? Or maybe you needed to borrow something and, and they allowed you to borrow it. And maybe you had it for a while. Maybe it was months later. Maybe it was even a year later. And then they come back to you and they're like, hey, can I have that now? And you're like mad. Why? Why? They never said, I'm giving this to you. This is yours now. Why were you mad? Because in your heart, in your mind, you took ownership of something that was theirs. Guys, this is what we do. This is the struggle. This is the battle. It's the the thing that we wrestle with. And like nothing else, where money has this power that that, for incredible good, but it also can absolutely transform my heart in all the wrong ways as well. And so I need to continue, ask, and evaluate, whose is this? Whose is this? And if I'm starting to act and think and treat it like it's mine, we got some problems. Because that is in opposition to what the Bible says. A steward 
by definition, is someone an owner and trust with the management of their assets. From the beginning in the Garden of Eden, all the way to the end of Scripture, it emphasizes God's ownership of everything. Look at Haggai 2.8. It says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. In 1 Chronicles 29, 11, and 12, and, and David's actually fielded this incredible offering for the temple. It says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you, ruler, o, you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. We should regularly be asking him, this God who, who has declared, this is all mine, I am all powerful, everything you have is from me. We should regularly be asking as a steward of that gift, God, what do you want me to do with your money? What do you want me to do with, with, with these possessions? What do you want me to do with my house? What do you want me to do with my car? Like we should be asking that in our families together. We should be asking, how do we steward this well, God? Just as a parent should be continually asking this, this gift of a child that is given to you on loan. That's not your child. It's God's. And so I'm, 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 I'm tasked with stewarding this child who belongs to God. And, I'm, and, and that's, that's, that's tough. That's hard. And I, and I want to struggle because I want to own those kids. But no, my challenge is to what? Is to steward them. Point them to Jesus. And guys, that's, that's how it is with our time, with our talent, with our resources. It's asking, whose really is this? And if it's God's, God, how do I use this for you? How do I invest in eternity? Because Matthew 6, 19 through 20, he tells us what to do uh, with, with, with our treasure. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and their thieves uh, do not break in and steal. Invest in eternity. Invest in what lasts. There's a, there's a parable that Jesus tells uh, we call it the parable of the talents in, in Matthew 25, 14 uh, through 30. And he, tells, and he tells the story of this master who gives his servants different amounts of money, five, three, and two, or one talent. And, and, and the, the servant that he gave five to, the master goes away for a period of time. He comes back, and that servant has doubled that amount. He's got five more that he presents to his master. And what do we hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. The, the one with three, uh, he has doubled that, what he was given, and he comes back, presents it to the master. Well done, good and faithful servant. The one who was given one, though, he went in a very responsible way and buried it. Keep it safe. Buried it, and then his master comes back and goes, hey, master, I know how you really are. I know how you got your wealth. Here you go. You wicked servant. <laughs> now, that can be used in our talents, our giftings, our resources, that parable. But when you think about it, you see this, this servant have the mindset of, here's the bare minimum back. Nothing over that. I brought you what's yours back. And it's interesting. I look at that and it, 
you know, that parable, it's not like he withheld, right? But it was a mindset that he had. See, the mindset of the others was how do I honor, bless the master? How do I increase what the master has entrusted to me, understanding and knowing that, that it's his, and I want to further what the plan is for this. I want to further that mission. Um, and, and then I look at this other servant, the one who buried it, and, and I see him just giving it to him. Here, here you go. This is what you gave me, and that. And, and it's interesting how over time, when I started to grow and understand my faith and this whole idea of generosity, and even for me, because I, I never used to tithe. Um, this was before I was a pastor. <laughs> um, but, but, then, but then I remember when I started tithing, and even when I started tithing, it was literally like, here's your 10%. But the rest, it's all mine. Enjoy your 10. I got the 90. Good deal. And that was my mindset. Now you go, you go, Steve, was that sin? Well, think of the mindset there. I'm that servant. Here is your, here's your 10. Enjoy it. I got my 90. I can do whatever I want with my 90. And that was my mindset. And that was my heart, you guys. And, and, and when, when I started being challenged in this area, I remember Lindsay and I were reading a book and, and we're starting to work through this whole concept, this idea that you see all throughout scripture of giving in this mindset. And, and I just started going, man, honey, I am, I am off. I'm, I'm on the wrong end of the examples in scripture. I was that servant in, rela in relation to generosity with God's resources. And I just started thinking as I was preparing for this, what if we started 2021 by declaring, God, it's all yours? What if that was the start? God, it's all yours. Everything we look at in our life, we talk about our time, our talent, our treasure, everything. And we just said, God, it's all yours. You guys, I'm telling you right now, that for me has changed my life, my marriage, how I parent, the decisions I make, where we've moved, that decision to declare, God, it's all yours, has wrecked my life in all the best of ways. Now, has it just destroyed goals? 100%. Has it, has it brought me to places of sacrifice? Oh, yeah. I never dreamed that we would be in a position that we were at and then God say, hey, I want you to give all that up and I want you to go plant this church in this other area knowing that that was like financial ruin. But, but if it's all his, I can do that. If, if I never imagined that he would start as I started to unlock this idea that it's not all mine, that it's all his, I, would, I never could have imagined the people he would bring into my life that were in need that he was going to lead me to give to. The, the missionaries, the, the causes, uh, the nonprofits, um, outside of just my church that he was going to do as... I started to go, God, it's all yours. And I'm telling you right now, this is not about building Ecclesia's kingdom. Whatever church you, or maybe you even go to another church, man, it's not about that. It's a mindset, it's a heart that you see all throughout scripture and it's a way that we steward the resources that God has given us. And if you do it his way, it will bless you beyond belief and you will be in shock and amaze at the road he takes you on. It'll be incredible. And, and we see that, and we're going to look at that in a minute, but, but it starts with that question. It starts with declaring that statement. God, it's all yours. 
And we see modeled, we see it modeled and instructed in scripture. When we, when we talk about money, you know, we, uh, we hear about this principle of tithing and, and, and really quickly, kind of the, as we walk through tithing and, and, and first fruits, these things that you see a lot in scripture, you know, the principle of tithing, it was ingrained in the beliefs and lifestyles of the early Christians, most of whom uh, grew up in Jewish homes. The first fruits that, that we read about in scripture, it referred to the, the first products of the seasonal harvest. They were considered to be holy, set apart, God's sole possession. So symbolically, the giving of the first fruits acknowledged God's ownership of the land and all the crops that would follow. Before people consumed any of the harvest, they were to give God the best representatives of the first part of that harvest. And if this wasn't done, there'd be no blessing on the remainder of the crop. The principle is to give him first. That's the principle we see. And the best of the first. It's a great principle. Especially in light of God giving us his first best in Jesus. But the first teaching we see on tithing as law, it occurs in Leviticus 27, 30. And when we see uh, the meaning of the word tithe, it's literally a tenth. That's where you hear people talk about a tenth. Um, and, and, and literally what it teaches is the tithe belongs to the Lord and the tithe applied to everything. It was to be holy, set apart, given to him. And in the Bible's first reference to tithing, we see 430 years before tithing is law. We see Abram, whose name becomes Abraham, tithing the spoils of war to a priest named Melchizedek. And, and so we see that there. We see uh, six, verses, six chapters later, Jacob um, having this encounter with God and, and just literally say, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything I own. And so we see this happening before it was law. And then, and then we see the warnings for the nation of Israel to honor that. In, in, in Malachi 3, 8, and 9, he literally uses language that's pretty extreme. Will man rob God? Like literally, um, it says, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse. You are robbing me, the whole nation of you. So in addition, we see to a tithe, he had expectations that says, you have robbed me of tithes and contributions. So we see free will giving, this volunteering, uh, voluntary offering that, that, we would see, that we see throughout scripture where God lays something on people's hearts and he says, give to that. Over and above, give to that. Be a part of that. Give to them. And so, and so that's something between us and God that he does, and we see it all throughout the Old and the New Testament. But in uh, his law, God was teaching his people to set aside a tenth of their crops as a teaching tool. By giving away 10%, they made a statement about the remaining 90% that it all belonged to their creator. And so the tithe was an act of obedience, and these voluntary offerings were an act of love, joy, and worship. The Old Testament, actually, they, they ended up giving three different tithes. One of the tithes was done every three years. And so overall, it affected their income greatly. I mean, around 23%, which is crazy to think about that kind of generosity. New Testament believers, when we look at the New Testament, we just see this generosity, this theme, and, and giving to the Lord. Uh, obviously, they understand the gospel. They have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, just look at what happens in this well-known section of Scripture in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. It, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the rest 
resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, we're not going to do that right now. <laughs> I was about to ask. <laughs> I'm just setting you up. No. But we see a response, right? We see what happens, you guys. With the gospel, we see when, when, when people receive and respond. And when they say, when, when we see in the Bible, they say, I surrender. It wasn't this like, I surrender you this compartment right here of my heart. It was their whole life. And a byproduct of that was generosity time and time and time again. To the point where it overflowed. See this whole mindset of how do I give the bare minimum? You just don't see it. You don't see it when someone, someone responds uh, to Jesus. Rather than falling short of tithing, we see these early Christians going far beyond it. And, and so we got to just ask. Sometimes we, got, we use the law and we go, well, I'm under grace, not under the law. You just need to know if you're going to say that, grace always took things further than the law. And I'm so thankful for it. Aren't you? Jesus fulfilled the law. We see when this happens, this generosity, when it's God's way, we see that it's, it's sacrificial, you guys. It's sacrificial. In Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, Jesus is watching people put money into the tithe collector. Can you imagine that? If we had Jesus here, well, he is, but you can see him and he's watching you tithe. I'd be like, you know, and then if he did this, I'd be like, and just keep going until it was like positive, like an intense scene. And, and, he, and there's this lady that comes up and, and she doesn't have anything. She just has these two coins and she puts them in and Jesus tells his disciples, that's what I'm talking about. She had nothing. She gave of everything she had. And all these other people were giving these massive amounts. He says, this is what I'm talking about. See, David told God, David said, I will not give anything that didn't cost me. Nothing. I will not give to the Lord what has cost me nothing. See, in the New Testament, what we see, it wasn't a matter of what you had. It was proportional. It was consistent. It was generous and dictated by God. You see offerings happening. You see Paul raising support, instructing Jesus' followers in churches to give Weekly in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 Timothy 5, talking about paying uh, your, your, your pastors. And, and, and when you think of Jesus, Jesus, we see, had donors, and many of those donors were women that were donating. See, guys, there's the, it, it's, it's an invitation to be a part of something that God is doing. And I want to highlight the, the blessing here that's attached. And in 2 Corinthians 9, uh, 6 through 8, it says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work." And then, and then we see in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, uh, it says, 
give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap for, we, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. In the context of that verse, is this talking about it, you giving grace, giving forgiveness, and even resources as you do that, you will be blown away by what God does. Now, I am not up here promising that your bank account is gonna increase. It could, if it does, good for you. But this is, this is even greater than that. This is the eternal rewards. This is a lot of the things that you don't see that he's doing, that he's working. And he says, man, you, you, you do this. In fact, in Malachi 3.10, he says, test me in this. Test me and see what I do. Guys, it's incredible. When you see uh, in Luke 6.38, when he says, uh, given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. Like, like he knows as he's saying this, they understand harvest time, uh, during the harvest time, the wealthy would leave the corners of their crop for the poor people to come and get grain. They could gather grain. They were told to do that. So they had their workers in the middle part of the field and they were there paid hourly and they were go and delivering that. They didn't really care how much was, was in. It didn't have to be full to the rim because they were just doing it to get the job done. But these poor people were on the sides collecting grain and they would press it down. They would shake it to get anything unnecessary out of there. And they would literally continue to do that until they could get as much as they could in there because they were traveling, for many of them, multiple miles home. And that was everything for them. That was survival. And Jesus says, listen, when you give, not, I'm going to give to you in such a way that it's going to be pressed down. It's going to be shaken and it's going to be overflowing. And so, and so when we look at just this, this byproduct of, of giving, I, I'm amazed at the disservice we have done by acting like our money is needed to fulfill the vision. God doesn't need my money to fulfill his mission. He doesn't need it. He already owns it. <laughs> by inviting me to give, he's inviting me into being blessed. And listen, the blessing is not my motivation. The blessing is a byproduct of his grace. And what we see is an incredible God that invites you into partnering with him in fulfilling his work. And guys, once again, God didn't need to include me or you in his plans, but out of his grace, he invites us into doing what he's doing and invest and reap the rewards. And we see this multiplying effect all throughout scripture that happens. Guys, at the end of the day, I'll tell you this right now. When we think about giving, if you've never started tithing, tithing is a great place to start. It really is. Yeah, you're not gonna see it as a law in the New Testament. You see it continued. You see Jesus affirm it. It's a good place to start. But, but this is so much bigger than, than asking, than, than just that. It's, it's, it's really, God, do you have it all? Is it yours or is it mine? And God, thank you for not tithing your blood. Thank you for giving me it all. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for the blessing. And guys, just maybe in 2021, he's going to call all of us to a new level of generosity. Just maybe he's gonna do that. I mean, 2020, like I said, incredible year for us. Through, your, through, through just what has come in, the ability to help people during COVID, the fires, box of love, so many things that God's allowed us to be generous. 
And, and I just think, you know, for some of you, you're like, man, Steve, I'm just stuck in this debt and all this, all the weight of these other things. We, uh, we launched an outreach ministry last year called Financial Peace. It's launching again in January. If you need help or, 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 or you just need help managing or, or you, no one ever helped you or, or talked to you about these difficult things, man, sign up for that. That is a great resource. It has transformed lives. It would be a, a, a blessing for you to be a part of that. But, but I think we just all have got to, we've got to close this down with asking, what is God asking me to do? What is he asking me to start? And just maybe what is he changing in my perspective towards generosity? And guys, if we can just start with that, with the understanding that it's all his, I'm telling you right now, what he does through this church in 2021 will will be beyond our comprehension. What he does in your life, in your family's life, will be amazing. It just will. You see it all throughout scripture. And once again, you guys, this isn't the money talk. This is a heart conversation. If there's stuff I'm holding on to in my heart, anything, that I'm saying, God, it's mine, that's not good. It only holds you back from his best. Surrender, okay? He loves you so much. Everything you have is from him. Acknowledge that, and let's worship him in that.